to the NFL. Welcome to the NFL, rookie. Hello and welcome to this week's very own DWZ. That is right, the Dynasty War Zone's very own rookie rundown. As always, I'm your host, Dallas. You can find me on Twitter at Salad Galore. That is Dallas backwards with the double L. And today we are continuing the first year forecasting segment here on the rundown. And it is going to be a doozy because it's not just me, myself, and I this week. As you know, if you've been following along the last, I don't know, seven weeks, you will know that I've had a guest every single week, and we've been shooting the shit on a lot of fun teams and a lot of fun rookies for said teams. This week is no different. We have the DWZ, the Dynasty Warzone Network's very own Chad Mendoza. Chad, how you doing? I'm great, Dallas. I'm great. I'm glad to be here, man. I'm, I'm glad to talk some NFC East and, uh, yeah, talk about the Giants a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a team that doesn't get a lot of love, um, you know, kind of justifiably, but uh, it's a fun division because it's probably the only one in the NFL that has a different winner of the division every single year. You can pretty much chalk it up to having a different winner every single year um, for, I don't know, better part of the last two decades. I feel like it's been known as the eight and eight division because everyone always finished eight and eight, but that changed now that there's 17 games in play, but yeah, for those of you that have been following along and for those of you new to the segment, we are in the thick of the first year forecasting segment. We only have this week and then we are wrapping up with a home division for myself. It's actually going to be myself and one of my good longtime buddies from college who uh, actually started podcasting with talking about the AFC West next week. But we are here to talk about the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Commanders, which is still weird for me to say, and the New York Giants. Are you ready, Chad? I'm ready. Okay, perfect. Well, we're going to start, as always, in sequential order, based off of win-loss record from the 21 season. We are diving into the Dallas Cowboys to start off. They finished last year 12-5 and at the top of the division, made a playoff appearance, and then got booted out per usual, as is what happens with the Cowboys. They are now going into their third season with Kellen Moore at the helm of the offensive coordinator position. And ever since he's taken over, it's been a very pass-heavy feeling to the team but they always seem to land right around in that high to mid range when it comes to pass percentage versus run ratio so they're sitting right around 13th with this last season in pass percentage at 57.8 percent of their plays going for passing pretty standard with a Dak Prescott led offense but what is most intriguing out of anything with this team is the fact that there are over 200 vacated targets there are 205 vacated targets that are no longer there and those are in the form obviously of uh, mr amari cooper and kind of the breakout star over the last two or so years in those flex bye weeks or injury related fill-ins with cedric wilson uh they also lost a very key cog on their team in the form of their positional place kicker and greg zerline so they are actually going to be running with a true rookie this year as a kicker which is always pretty jarring when you're looking at the team uh it's not every time that you open your eyes and you see an evan mcpherson just you know with all the swag that joe burrow has in the form of a kicker so uh the team is looking a little bit different with those holes at wide receiver they brought in a mr james washington and a couple of targets in the draft two guys we will be talking about pretty heavily in jalen tolbert out of Southern Alabama, and Mr. Jake Ferguson, one of my favorite tight ends in the class out of Wisconsin, to fill in as that tight end two role. So 
that's just kind of the overview right now of what we're looking at with the Cowboys. They kind of floundered out in the, um, you know, the postseason, as is what happens to most of the teams in this division, unfortunately. But where are you at with the Cowboys as a Giants fan? Are you scared of them? Do you think they're going to be as explosive this year? Just what's your overall take on the Cowboys, Chad? Yeah, if there's one thing I've learned <laughs> following the NFC East my entire life, it's it's basically that it's going to be bizarre. You can't predict anything. Uh, there hasn't been a consecutive winner in the NFC East in 17 years. Yep. And yeah, that's not a mistake. 17 years. It's, it's pretty wild. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you can't expect the Dallas Cowboys to have too much of a drop-off. Amari Cooper leaving, I think, is going to hurt a little bit more than people are anticipating. Uh, I think I like it for Dynasty because I, I really like what that will do to CD's Lamb, uh, CD Lamb's production, at least uh, how I view it right now. Um, but you know, they, they still have depth there with, with Tolbert and, uh, and, and Gallup, who I also really like as well, especially with his ADP. Um, so yeah, I think the offense is still going to be pretty high powered. You still got Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, you know, the argument that Tony Pollard should be taking over that backfield any day now, <laughs> uh, as anybody, everybody's anticipating, but yeah, I mean, I think the offense is going to be good. The defense is always a question mark and I think it's still going to be a question mark going into the year. Um, but yeah. Yeah, Dallas is one of those weird teams for me, um, you know, classic NFC East, as you said, but I'm actually very intrigued as to how some of the positional battles are going to kind of work out. Um, there's a lot of ramifications, not exactly for 2022 season, but 2023 as to how some of these players fit into their new positions. Um just like you said, for me, Amari Cooper is just disrespected. Just like Jarvis Landry is disrespected. They're guys that constantly require targets. They constantly get them from every single quarterback that they are paired up with. And people continue to say, oh, they're not that good. Oh, they're not that good. Well, they finish as a wide receiver, too, every single year. And just because you want them to be a top-tier talent doesn't mean that's going to happen. But they're also not trash. So I feel like Amari Cooper is going to do just fine in his new home in Cleveland, even if Deshaun Watson misses the entire season. He's still going to be the number one target. He's still going to see over 100 targets. He's still going to do good. Um, I wanted to dive a little bit into the running back situation. So I, I have been a staunch supporter of Ezekiel Elliott since he came out of the Ohio State and was with the Dallas Cowboys. And there's obviously been the narrative of Tony Pollard ever since he came out, just because everyone knows the explosiveness that he's had. Um, the thing with Tony Pollard with me is that this is a classic question that I like to pose of when does a regression or an opportunity open up for a person? That narrative um, of it is always going to happen just become a falsity. Uh, it, does it become a trend where he's just never going to get the lead role? Because people are still thinking that Tony Pollard is this young buck. Tony Pollard is 26. He'll be 27 at the end of the season. He's not going to get a big contract to start out at the end of the one that he's on right now. So there's a lot of expectations of him, you know, staying in Dallas, spelling out Zeke's role. Once they inevitably cut Zeke, the contract's bad for Zeke. I'll give it to you. But like Tony Pollard's not young. They haven't drafted a running back in a while. And if something happens to Pollard or Zeke, there's no depth on this team whatsoever. Where are you at with this running back situation? Are you one of the Pollard truthers or are you thinking they're a little bit in trouble for the future? Yeah. I, how I how I like to approach dynasty is I I, I tend not to think in certainties and and I think a lot of people do that I, I don't quite understand it a lot of people you know jump on these narratives like you were saying with Tony Pollard where you know he's going to eventually take over for Zeke and that just becomes a trope 
And it becomes factual in people's minds when he's an undrafted free agent in 2023. We don't know. I mean, they could very easily go out and draft a running back in the third round. We've seen multiple teams go ahead and do that this year. Um, and guys like uh, who's another one, uh, Madison over there in in, in uh, Minnesota, mm-hmm. where you know for several years now people have just been saying it's it's only a matter of time. Once Cook leaves, it's Madison's job. Once Zeke leaves, it's it's Tony Pollard's job. I don't necessarily think that's true, but I do, I do like what Tony Pollard has done on the field enough that I believe he could find a job somewhere else. So if you have him on your roster, I'm not, I'm not totally freaking out about it. Um, I think that you could get good value for him now because, like I said, those tropes, people are just going along with him. So he is worth quite a bit right now. Um, I'm trying to keep around a 20% share of him, 30% share max um, across my leagues. And go go with him from there because there is a, a significant amount of risk there. I think. Yeah, and he's one of those classic players for me specifically. That it just falls in the category where the acquisition cost isn't worth the player to me. So like any shares I didn't have from initial drafts, which I had zero, um, I haven't tried to acquire because since day one, there's always been the narrative of, oh wow, the second he hit the field, he was explosive. He's going to take the job. It's just that hype train that always happens for people. So unfortunately, I have no Pollard shares. Yes, exactly. He is the best handcuff in the world if you have him. But for me, I'm not looking to kind of acquire him, I guess is how I should say. Because as I said, the acquisition is an acquisition cost. Look, cannot talk long day is mm-hmm. a little bit uh, higher than what I'm looking to do. Um, the similar capacity is when you're looking at this wide receiver position as well for the team, um, that 205 Vacated targets is not a number to ignore, especially when they brought in no real true, you know, game breakers. Like they brought in a guy who was very productive in college and Jalen Tolbert, who we'll talk about in a little bit, but then they brought in kind of what everyone equates as a bust in Pittsburgh and James Washington. Um, He's a guy that there's a lot of actual NFL receivers, specifically Hall of Flame veterans that um, are sitting there and they've been hyping up James Washington to get an opportunity in a new place. Um, Des Bryant and um, Michael Irvin both actually called him going to Dallas, going back to Texas and absolutely exploding this year. Haven't heard a lot out of camp out of pretty much any of the wide receivers outside of CeeDee Lamb, but there's a lot of opportunity to go around. Do you have a take on James Washington? Are you curious? Because he's free everywhere. Like he's on waiver wires in a lot of places right now in most dynasty leagues that I'm in. And I feel like he's a guy that we all want Jalen Tolbert to take the role right out of the gates, but there's, a real chance James Washington just steps in as the wide receiver too, especially on the outside opposite CD land. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I'm, I'm a bit lower on, on Washington. I, mm-hmm. I don't think he's, he's really proved anything in the NFL yet um, to give him that benefit. I guess picking him off the waivers, if I have an extra roster spot, I'm not dropping anybody of significance to, to pick up James Washington, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely in the realm of possibility that he steps into uh, a pretty decent role there, at least early on, and, and, and see some targets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree. Like, uh, again, acquisition cost is nothing for me. That's that's how I you like to talk about players, just like what I actually have to pay to get them dictates a lot of times yeah. whether or not I'm actually going to add them to my teams. Um, James Washington is one of those freebies that I was acquiring in the offseason mm-hmm. a lot for late fourths. And so at that point, it's like, a, okay, I'm getting someone like a – I mean, one of the guys I liked, like a Danny Gray, who's probably not going to see the field at all, 
versus a James Washington, pretty much a wash. So I don't really take that on the chin when I uh, <laughs> see one of these players flame out. But I, now's the time, I guess, we'll dive into Jalen Tolbert. Where are you at with Jalen Tolbert out of South Alabama? Uh, what was your take prior to the draft, and where are you at on him now in this Dallas position with Amari Cooper out of town? Yeah, Tolbert and Mechie were two guys that I really, really liked going into this this class. Is like I saw them as like really good priority second-round wide receivers. Like I think in most drafts, in, in recent years, they would be in second round wide receivers. Like it doesn't matter what class it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're that good. And yeah, I mean, I, I think he could step into a role and see pretty immediate production. I think he's good enough. You just never know with these young wide receivers mm-hmm. though. I mean, he's a guy that his cost in, in the draft and rookie drafts wasn't really much. So he's a guy I'm comfortable holding on to and knowing it may take some time with him. But, you know, like you said, there are a ton of vacated targets in that offense. It's not out of the question that he steps in and takes a decent chunk of it. Yeah, that's kind of how I am with Tolbert, too. I was pretty high on him as well. But I saw him. He reminded me a lot of Zay Jones when he was coming into the league. Um, For those of you that don't remember, Zay Jones was a second round pick and an early second round pick to the Buffalo Bills. Um, Big bodied guy. 6'1", 6'2", right in that range, right around 200 pounds, and he could move for his size. Um, Jalen Tolbert, the one question I had, obviously, is that he was at South Alabama. How was he going to do with the transition? All the reports are that he's doing good, and he he is this year's what I see as a Amon Ross St. Brown. Do I think he's as talented as an Amon Ross St. Brown? Probably not, um, but when I'm looking at the overall target volume and what everyone kind of chases if you're going to go for a guy in the second or third round that's wide receiver as opposed to a running back it's the volume um they realistically aren't going to have michael gallup until week six at the very earliest because of the acl injury last year you then are looking at a wide receiver core of james washington cd lamb dalton schultz at tight end and then question marks who semi fahoko who didn't play a snap last year for them uh so realistically he could come in day one take the slot role away from CD or take the complete outside role away from CD. Um, I feel like that's very imperative for the Dallas Cowboys is to choose where they're going to play CD lamb and stop this flip flop back and forth with them. Um, But realistically he could be on pace for 120 targets and I wouldn't blink through the first six games. And then when Gallup comes back, you can start fighting for those little bit of uh, you know, more of a target share, but I feel like he has the best opportunity to see those hundred plus targets probably out of the class outside of maybe Drake London and um, my guy Traylon Burks in Tennessee. But the second guy on the list that I wanted to talk about is one of my favorite tight ends. He's the all encompassing Jack of all trades. And he actually comps extremely well to the tight end that's currently on the roster in Dalton Schultz for me. It's Jake Ferguson. Um, they like to, two tight end sets. Um, They came out of the 12 formation. Where's the stat? They were ninth in the league at two tight end sets last year. So I know it may not sound like, or it may not feel like there's a lot of second tight end production, but a lot of times because they're running so often, they're running a lot of play action passes um, and just the pass volume in general. The second tight end actually does have some value as long as they can stay healthy. That's usually been the issue with the Cowboys. But when you bring in a guy who is a adept blocker and adept move tight end as an actual pass catcher that just kind of lacks some of that top end athleticism, that kind of screams Dalton Schultz for me. And when you're looking at the fact that all the reports are that Dalton Schultz basically is not signing a long-term contract in Dallas at his current asking price, 
I have a feeling that Ferguson could probably be the cheapest acquisition at tight end. That could be a starter next year for any of the teams. Where are you at with Ferguson and in general, this tight end position for Dallas? Yeah, I like him. I think uh, he's, he's basically free, right? Like mm-hmm. I picked him up a ton on the waiver wire. Um, there's a, there's a few tight ends like that in this class that I think have the, uh, uh, I guess the formula to really, really do, do well early on as tight ends. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, comparatively, right. Tight ends, yeah. usually <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I like his size. I like his, his ability to run block, uh, really good body control, um, decent route runner for his size. I, I mean, I, I like everything about him. Uh, especially, you know, his acquisition costs. So yeah, yeah, I'm picking him up everywhere. Yeah. I actually just acquired two shares post draft of him. Um, I was really debating picking him up, uh, in one of my leagues, but I got sniped on him, but yeah, he, he's a guy I'm stashing definitely on my taxi squad this year. Um, if he ends up popping off due to an injury or just due to the fact that he starts seeing some work, um, I feel like he could be the cheapest tight end one on a roster next year that you probably acquire this year. But not a lot of UDFA love either on this team. Um, the one of note that just due to the positional scarcity at wide receiver that we talked about is a guy that I was not high on, but he was in my top 25 wide receivers going into the class. Um, Dontario Drummond out of Mississippi. Um, big body slot with production every year that he was in college. The one question you had was his effort because he took quite a few plays off. And that was my biggest issue with him going into the senior bowl and going into the draft. Um, I think the NFL saw that as well. And that's why I went to a team that doesn't really ask their wide receivers to block very often. Um, But the team's needy, as I said, for a true slot receiver after Cedric Wilson left. Um, If they decide not to put CeeDee Lamb in there, they could start to mess with a couple of different combinations. None of the other wide receivers on the team really scream out. I play the slot role very well. So looking into Drummond, if he were to make the roster, Going into the preseason, going into the regular season, he's a guy I'd be looking to stash as well just because looking down the road, there's some question marks of the position. Do you have any notes on Drummond or are you get to pass it on? Drummond's one of those guys I don't know too much about. The only game that I remember of significance uh, that he played in was that uh, Alabama game, and he was mm-hmm. absolutely terrible. Yep. So <laughs> I don't want to give an opinion too much yeah. on it because that's probably skewing it towards the back end there. No, no. I mean, it's justified. Like I said, it's an effort thing with him. Like he literally was like walking plays sometimes and you just sit in there like, you're not going to get drafted. You're literally not going to get drafted to that dude to where he would just let people blow by him and blow up blocks, blow up their, you know, running backs right behind him. It was atrocious, but yeah, if he can get that figured out, I think he might have a shot at the roster. But uh, then again, I mean, we say that every year with these fourth and fifth round guys and then they don't make the roster, let alone undrafted free agents. So yep, yep. going on to team number two, though, it's the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, this is the most status quo team probably in the NFL. Uh, only 36 vacated targets and only 86 vacated rushes. And that was just due to the fact that the two running backs that had those 86 rushes, i.e. in John, uh, Jordan Howard and why am I blanking on the Auburn guy? Um, Auburn running back that was also on Detroit. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, don't. Oh, this is going to kill me. Carry on Johnson. There you go. Yeah. Um, Okay. God, that's killing me. Those are the only two that accounted for those 86 rushes. Um, pretty much the exact same team. They lost absolutely no skill position players of note, but they did add in Zach Pascal, who's one of the most underrated wide receivers in the league for me, as well as the big ticket free agent slash trade agent acquisition in AJ Brown on draft night for the first round pick. So this wide receiver core, which was, 
a huge issue due to the fact that they were 32nd in pass percentage, justifiably, Mm -hmm. in the league last year underneath Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts. Um, They needed a weapon upgrade, and boy, oh boy, did they get him in one of the best yak receivers and big-bodied receivers in the league. Um, Are you scared of the Eagles? Personally, I'd be scared of the Eagles if I think Jalen Hurts is a quarterback personally. Um, He was a guy I was screaming for the Bears to take two years ago. That obviously didn't happen. Um, But looking at the team right now, if Hurts plays at the same level that he did last year with these weapons at wide receiver, I think this is a team that easily makes the playoffs, and it's a defense I honestly wouldn't want to play because they just keep getting more and more depth on the line. Where are you at with the Eagles? Yeah, I think they're going to be a pretty solid team. If, if we're talking strictly in the NFL, uh, there's a there's a little bit of scare there. There's a little bit of scare factor. Actually, I say that, but there's a little bit of scare factor in, in fantasy as well because I'm scared if I own anybody on their offense. Yep. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it goes around uh, all the way there. But, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be a solid team. Jalen Hurts, if he can take another – I mean, you're talking about him playing on the same level, but if he can take the next step, man, oh, man, is that offense going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they're going to need a little bit more from the running backs there. Uh, and, you know, hopefully uh, Smith takes that next step as well. But, you know, the offense is, is really young. The offensive line looks good. Uh, and, and they have depth and position there. So it, it should be a pretty good team. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that don't know this also, when you were looking at the quarterback position last year, prior to the week 11 injury that Jalen Hurts picked up, he was not a QB one. He was the QB one in fantasy and standard scoring last year. That rushing floor was no joke. The touchdowns obviously weren't there for the passing game. So that was just showing you exactly what the Konami code in air quotes quarterback can do for you. So if he increases the passing, which I think is extremely easy because Devonta Smith is a great move piece. He's a great, you know, press beater of great zone beater but they needed a true outside receiver to take some of the pressure away from him because Jalen Rager wasn't cutting it Quez Watkins is fun on screens but that's about it so bringing in a guy like that the offense gets a lot scarier as you said Hertz is probably the only person on the team that I actually want to have on my team based off of acquisition cost of where they're going um but I think the guy that is being slept on in the office in general specifically in dynasty purposes is Devonta Smith Um, he had a very good season last year with a quarterback that really couldn't get in the ball. Um, they stopped throwing the ball basically right when he got injured, they did nothing but ran the ball after that point. So looking at what he did, which was basic, if you take his points per game was a wide receiver two season for Devonta Smith, which is all I'm asking for, for a first round wide receiver that I'm drafting. Um, he's being slept on, I think the most out of last year's class personally. Um, there's, I mean, I, I asked a lot of people this question last year, who would you rather have Jerry Judy or Devonta Smith when it was draft time? And a lot of people told me they would rather have Jerry Judy after the acquisition of Russell. I think it's still that answer, but for mm-hmm. me, I'm like, eh, I probably might want Devonta long-term. Um, I don't know. It, it's an interesting team. They didn't add a lot of draft picks at any notable position. They added Grant Calcaterra out of Boise state, but that is pretty much it. I have no notes on Calcaterra. He wasn't even in my top 10 tight ends. Um, do you have anything to talk about him with? No, no, no. But I do want to go back to uh, the conversation about the quarterback and, and Devonta Smith a little bit. Yeah. But I do find it, it fairly intriguing. Yeah. I think a lot of people view this team on both ends of the spectrum. I'm maybe on the little bit of uh you know, I'm still scared as hell of, of Jalen Hurts, if I'm being completely honest <laughs> with you. Uh, not not in his production um, this upcoming season. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be fantastic. 
redraft leagues, I want him everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but in Dynasty, do you see him as a long-term option? Do you think if he comes out there and he puts up a similar season like he had last year, not not just production-wise in Dynasty, but you know what we saw on the field? Because I think there was some significant deficiencies there as far as the product he was putting out there. Um, do you think he keeps his position if he does that again, especially with uh, A.J. Brown uh, being added to that offense? Yeah, for me, this is a parallel that I always like to bring up when it comes to like true rushing quarterbacks that don't really have like a lot of arm talent. Can you give me like a Cam Newton season, like his MVP season? And mm-hmm. people like Lamar was able to do that. Lamar checked the boxes. That's what we were waiting to see. The thing is, it only took two years for him to do it. So that was a little bit of an outlier. When it comes to Hertz, I think he's a little bit better of a passer than Cam. Uh, Cam, even at the tail end of his career, still couldn't throw the ball where it needed to go. Yeah. Um, Jalen Hurts doesn't really have that issue. He just, for being the rushing quarterback, cannot throw on the run, which is just wild to me. Um, but I think if he puts up similar numbers and they make the playoffs, I think they don't have a choice but to keep him. Um, even with the multiple first round draft picks next year, most of those are looking like they would be towards the tail end of the draft. Three late round firsts isn't going to get you to probably the top of the draft to pick up one of Stroud and Young. And then at that point, yeah, there's a lot of hype on some other quarterbacks next year, but I don't know realistically that there's anyone I would be acquiring that's going to be hitting free agency or that's going to be in that draft class outside of those two that I think that could step in day one and give you more than what Jalen Hurts does for your offense specifically. So that's where I'm at with him. Um, Obviously that's a wait and see answer, but I have confidence in him. Again, I was a little bit biased. I liked him quite a bit more than most coming out of college. And yeah, it's pretty much lived up to what I anticipated him doing. Uh, You got to remember, I mean, he came into a weird situation. His first technical season last year was the first season that he was actually a starter, getting the starter reps in training camp, not Mm -hmm. having to fight and not, really having to play as a gadget player, which is what they wanted him to be his first year. So, I mean, you got to give people, I mean, three years, unless you're Josh Rosen, I feel like, is the pretty much the standard for quarterbacks. And this will be a second. So I'm in on Hertz, at least for the short term. And honestly, for Dynasty, I don't really think outside of like two-year windows. So that's where I'm at with him. I think think he's going to – Hertz was a second-round pick, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. So I think you kind of got to take a, a year away from that. I think they're going to give him the benefit of the doubt for two years. Hmm. Um, and they don't have that option at the end of uh, his contract. So I, I worry a little bit that they believe that this team is a really good team and that it is. And if Hertz comes out there and throws again, the 16 touchdowns, nine interception season, the, you know, being very proficient as a rusher, but you know, fairly inefficient as a passer mm-hmm. and they're seeing their weapons that they paid a premium for going to waste. They may get a little antsy and, and you see a guy fall a little bit like the Josh Rosen, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to that 11, 12, 13 spot in the draft. They say, okay, we, we need to get up there and get a guy. Um, and they bring somebody else in. If, if Hertz was a first round draft pick and had a little bit of that capital backing him up, I may be a little bit less worried, uh, but just, where his ADP is right now, what people see his value as it scares me to lose that much value, especially if you are saturated with shares across leagues. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm all for, you know, dispersal of your portfolio. It definitely makes sense. Uh, Since we're on the quarterback talk question for you. So we talked about the draft a little bit. So say Hertz isn't the guy just, I was just thinking about this as you were talking. They just acquired AJ Brown uh, contracts that I think the team, 
on the other end is slightly regretting picking up and extending Ryan Tannehill. If Hertz does exactly what he did last year, this year, would you rather have Hertz or would you rather have Ryan Tannehill on the team? Mm. Yeah, that's tough. See, that's and, tough. and that that's where I'm at because two years ago, Ryan Tannehill was a top five to seven dynasty quarterback. Yeah. He was the man. So a lot can change very quickly. I think Ryan Tannehill is still very good. Um, it's just the team around you makes a big difference. Yes. Uh, I will I will just stress when it came to Hertz last year, inefficiency as a passer, you can say, yes, some of it is definitely on him just because of his mechanics, but he had no one to throw to really outside of Goddard and outside of, um, why am I blanking? Sorry, Devonta Smith, who we talked about, and the rushing game was pretty crappy outside of him. So if you see improvements around the board, I'm optimistic. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, but that's about it. Um, UDFA, a uh, guy that I'm interested in, have been all offseason, still am, is Kennedy Brooks. I refuse to believe that he can't be an NFL running back, at least as a backup. Um, he's a favorite of mine um, for anyone that's listened to the channel. Uh, he had the best division out of the running back class by far in my eyes uh, when it came to just his ability to see the whole hit it. Um, size and speed to succeed. He just needs to make the team as the big back because it's been shown even underneath the Sirianni that they like to have at least one big back in Philly. And so I don't know if that's just the ownership that's like, yeah, no, we need a bruiser here or what not. But right now they don't have one on the team outside of Brooks. They're all kind of smaller backs. So he's a guy I'm keeping my eye on. Again, if he makes the roster, I'm going to have him pretty much anywhere, um, including like a guy like Abram Smith, who I kind of already talked about on the NFC episode. But that's where I'm at. you have any notes on Kennedy Brook from what you uh, saw on him prior to the draft and after it? No, I, I mean, pretty much what you said. He's just really impressive physically. Uh, and, yeah, I think he I think he can be a, an NFL caliber running back. He's just going to need the opportunity. And he might just get it in his offense. You never know. Nobody is uh, really um, – you know, kicking the front door open there at running back. So yeah, he, he's a guy where I'm just a three, 1000 yard seasons. Yes. He had 998 yards one time. I'm calling it a thousand yard season, but I'm looking at him. He did that in the big 12. He didn't do that in the mountain West. He didn't do it in a FBS school. Like he did that against top tier competition as a runner, put up three, 1000 yard seasons had over 6.0 yards per carry across his career and somehow he goes undrafted. And that's a guy where I'm always like, well, how did that happen? And he's very similar to a guy who went to the Eagles a couple of years ago that I was higher on out of Cincinnati, Michael Warren. I don't know if you remember that name or not, but oh yeah, yeah, no, that's a weird name drop for anyone that's listening right now. If you know who Michael Warren is, hit me up in the DMs. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just similar. Like the production was all there. The size speed is good enough. It's just for some reason he didn't get drafted and all the reports are good about him right now. So it's just hard for me to stay away is how I would phrase it for Kennedy Brooks. But I won't talk about a UDFA for too long for you guys. Going on to team three, we're looking at um, – the most questionable off-season team, I think, for a lot of people in the Washington Commanders. Last year, they went 7-10, finished third in the division, missed the playoffs. Um, they have were basically coming off of the heels of the Alex Smith leg experiment. They tried to ride it out with what most would call the most volatile quarterback in the NFL in Ryan Fitzmagic. Um, they then decided that wasn't the case for them, so then they took the second most volatile quarterback in the NFL with Carson Wentz. 
Uh, the team under Scott Turner actually looked decent on offense. The scheme really wasn't an issue for me. Um, they did kind of what you were anticipating them to do last year with J.D. McKissick and Gibson. Um, the issue was the receiving talent. Curtis Samuel, ever since they brought him in, has been perennially injured, and it's been all up to Terry McLaurin. Um, but as I said, in comes Wentz. They have 160 vacated targets to a bunch of no-name guys really on the team that haven't done much. And they lost basically only Adam Humphreys of note, as well as the retirement of Fitzmagic and the sending off of a tight end that never saw the field in Ricky Seals-Jones. What they did do is draft a lot of young guys that a lot of people were high on prior to the NFL draft and a lot of very intriguing dynasty assets at the position. So not going to ask you any general questions about the team in general, because I don't think anyone's really scared of the Washington commanders outside of their defense, which their secondary is trash right now. So I'm just going to leave it at that, but we're going to dive right into the rookies on this team. So Starting off at the quarterback position, you bring in Carson Wentz right now. He's locked and loaded day one started. That's not the question because of what they traded for him. My question, where are you at with Sam Howell on the team? Do you think he is going to win the backup job from Tyler Heineke? Do you think that he has a shot to be any kind of answer if Wentz starts to flame out during the season? Um, for me, I think that personally, if you look at Tyler Heineke and Sam Howell, they're very similar players right now. So I'm intrigued as to what your opinion is on the North Carolina quarterback that I instantly came in with a bias on just because of my Bears fandom and seeing Mitchell Trubisky just horror flashes in my head every time I looked at Sam Howell. Where yeah. You at? Uh, so Sam Howell, I thought the fifth round draft capital was extremely disrespectful. Um, I know a lot of the quarterbacks fell, but they fell to, you know, the second and third round. I mean, you know, very odd. Fifth round I thought was very, very odd. Um, I don't think he's a fifth round caliber quarterback. I know a lot of other, uh, you know, people who do this for a living have come out and said that they don't believe he's a fifth round rookie quarterback that, you know, there, there was something odd going on there that caused him to fall. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I don't think he steps in this off season with that backup role. I think, you know, the coaching staff likes Heineke too much. He's there for a reason. They brought him in. They're, they they trust him. They want him there. I think they're gonna they're gonna carry a third quarterback on the roster with Sam Howell, and um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be investing in him too heavily. Uh, Carson Wentz. <laughs> well, I just I, I'll wait for you to talk about Carson Wentz before I talk about Carson Wentz, but I might go on a little bit of his field there. Yeah, no, Carson Wentz. Okay, so I do think he gets a bad rap. Um, yeah, to a certain extent, um, he is a guy. He's a guy that doesn't make a lot of mistakes. When you look at his numbers, he looks very good on paper. His completion percentage is always pretty high. His pass touchdown to interception ratio for his career is pretty average when it comes to starting quarterbacks. The issue with Carson Wentz that people typically have and the reason that he gets shit on, for lack of better phrasing, is the exact same reason that Kirk Cousins gets shit on all the time. And it's due to the fact that they... When it's on the line and they need to win a game, they are more likely to do a horrific boneheaded mistake than they are to make a dime throw for the win. And that's typically where if you watch them quarterback teams, it's kind of scary. And it, I, I'm very, very familiar with the situation because it was a very familiar situation with Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago. I feel like there's a group of quarterbacks that are better than their overall narrative in the NFL, but they're not the franchise quarterbacks that a lot of teams are looking for. 
And that's kind of where I'm at when it comes to Wentz. But where are you at on him? So Carson Wentz, I, I'm going to talk about him for from a dynasty perspective yes. first and just say that he's always going to have a job. Yeah. He's always going to have a job. He's better than the back end or let's say from QB 15 on. He, I think he's better than those guys or just as good as those guys, I'll say. Right. I think that at any given time, there's going to be an NFL team that doesn't quite have the rookie uh, cap or the, the NFL draft capital to go up and get a, a top end rookie quarterback. And they're going to, you know, the same thing the Lions are doing with Jared Goff, bringing Carson Wentz. And I think he's better than Jared Goff. I think he's better than um, Fitzmagic. I think he's better than all these guys who are the traditional journeymen. So I, I think he's always going to find a job. Carson Wentz is a productive quarterback he's a productive quarterback his adp is absolutely ridiculous right now um i mean he's going behind desmond ritter in startups that's yeah. insane that's insane to me uh and i love desmond ritter he, he's my favorite quarterback yeah. in the rookie draft you yeah know, we, I think we, we've had, we've had some, uh, some bro out love sessions with desmond ritter this offseason <laughs> yeah yeah but it's absolutely ridiculous that carson wentz is going behind him it doesn't make any sense logically it doesn't make any sense uh, when you when you pull the narrative into it, I, I guess you, you get a little bit more context on where people's heads are at. And like you said, yeah, when you watch him towards the back end of the season, when they get close to playoff time, he starts to sputter and and things go uh, go go left. But I don't care about that from a dynasty perspective because he's oh, he's talented enough to always have a job, and that's all I care about because he's a productive quarterback in dynasty. Yeah, right. You don't own an NFL team. You're not pulling him to win you a playoff game, right? I mean, you are, but not an NFL playoff game, no. you know? So, yeah, I, I just don't get the ADP. I think this Washington um, offense is going to be uh, a bit better than people are expecting them to be, if I'm honest. Um, I'm – I don't know. I've, I, they're the team that I dislike the most in the NFC East, if I'm being completely honest with you. But I, I think they're better than people think they are. I honestly do. Yeah, for, for me, if there's one guy on this team that I just want to see the resurgence on, it's Curtis Samuel. I have so many shares of Curtis Samuel on my dynasty teams right now because of how cheap he's been to acquire. I have not had to pay higher than the 311 for a Curtis Samuel share over the last 18 months, which is wow. wild to me. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. wild because he's only 25 and people think he's ancient just because he's been around. He came into the league at 20. Um, he was basically like the same age that Juju came in as. And so he's a really young guy that's had some injury issues, which is kind of, you know, what he's been dealing with his entire career. But he had a top 20 fantasy season in PPR formats two years ago. And people are just kind of forgetting about that. Um, if he's healthy and he doesn't have any soft tissue issues, Carson Wentz is probably the best thing that's happened to him in a hot minute because it's people that can get him the ball slightly deeper than the four yards a dot that he was rocking with cam newton and with alex smith so i'm excited to see it but i agree i think this offense will be a little bit better um a guy i think that immediately makes the team better is mr brian robinson um we all know where i was prior to the nfl draft and he came in and he broke a lot of antonio gibson shareholders hearts um for me, I see his Alabama counterpart in Damian Harris. That's what I see when I look at Brian Robinson. He can do absolutely everything that you want him to do. You just have to actually commit to giving him the ball. So we'll see if that actually works. Um, he can spell you in the pass game and in the rush game. He's a little bit of an upright runner, um, but he's a guy that I loved. He was my RB3 going into this pre-draft process. He didn't move as the post-draft process. The only guy flirting with kicking him out of that spot was Tyler Algier, but that 
obviously got quelled as soon as they brought in Damian Williams. We get that just screamed like, hey, you're now the third running back on the team, not the second. So I'm looking at Brian Robinson as the true successor potentially to the team. Um, but also he was drafted late enough to where I could easily see like a Bijan Robinson just coming in and taking over this role next year. Um, luckily, you don't have to pay anything above a third round pick for him right now. So where are you at with Brian Robinson for the 2022 outlook? Yeah, I was much, much, much more excited about whoever was going to be in that second spot before J.D. McKissick came back. But I think mm-hmm. that there is a role to be had with Brian Robinson, especially with the injury history of uh, their number one there in Gibson. So yeah. Gibson, I'm a little bit scared of. Brian Robinson, I'm very, very happy if I can get him in a majority of my uh, in my drafts. Yeah, so uh, this is another, another, I guess, posing of a question. So what would you say – this wouldn't even be a third of the – well, this would basically be a third of the overall running back touches for the team. If he were to just take 30%, say, of the running back touches from the Washington Commanders and he were to put up a similar season to what we saw from Ramondre Stevenson last year, how would you feel about Brian Robinson? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be excited about him. I think – I mean, he has the draft capital, yep. right? Um, we know he's a good player. We've seen, we've seen him – consistently uh, do good things at the college level. If he can step in and fill a role there, uh, you know, take his stat, take his snaps, progressive progresses a pass blocker a little bit, because I think he's still kind of a little iffy, mm-hmm. but um, you know, if he can, if he can progress as a pass blocker and really look like a number one back, I think he's, he's good enough to, to take that role over. I, I just don't think that they trust Gibson as a long-term answer there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's worth the acquisition cost in my eyes straight yeah. away. Right there with you. All right, another option. Uh, they have quite a few on this <laughs> commander's team. Uh, wide receiver brought in first round uh, from all reports and what I understand of basically half of the first round. Pretty much everyone on the back end was attempting to trade up four wide receivers at a certain point. Um, the team that was unable to move up to get the guy that they truly wanted apparently was the commanders, but they left the first round at pick 16 with Mr. John Dawson out of Penn State, and it is a guy that I was not super high on. I know you were quite a bit higher on Dotson than I was coming out, and it's, again, just due to the size for me. Um, He was a guy that I was just basically lied to about his size the entire time. Uh, He came in much smaller than pretty much everyone anticipated, and I just don't like small guys. Um, But he does walk in day one feasibly as potentially the slot receiver. Um, I think people are saying that with an asterisk because a lot of people aren't taking into account Curtis Samuel specifically on this team, but he's a guy that's going to see probably quite a bit of work and due to the injury of Curtis Samuel this off season and the actual holdout that McLaurin was doing earlier in the season. um, Apparently Wentz and Dotson have a pretty good rapport so far. Um, from all the reports that I've seen, they've been basically the tag team duo that can do no wrong, basically. Where are you at with Dotson? Year one specifically, what do you think we're going to get out of his production? Yeah, I, I love Dotson. I, I absolutely love him. At his ADP, I think it's it's an absolute must-have for me. And, and you know, I like I said, I cap my, my shares for most players around 30%. He's pretty much at that 30% for me. His acquisition cost is is incredibly low, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talk about the height and the weight and, and yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a problem, but that's the only negative. I think the player has the mm-hmm. only negative. I think he's a good pass blocker. I think he's going to stay on the field. Um, I think he's good at, you know, every level of play he's good at. Um, I think he can line up anywhere. If I'm being honest, I just think he's a good all around wide receiver. He's very, very smooth. 
I, I mean, I don't see any drawbacks to the player besides the height and weight and, you know, at his acquisition cost, which is, you know, what, 201 to 203 in rookie drafts. Hmm. Um, I mean, first for 116, was it, was it the 16th uh, pick? He was yeah, mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, uh, I think that's a steal. I think that's a steal. Yeah. There, there was a lot of pundits in the actual NFL circles because he was projected basically average based off of ECR for actual NFL mock drafts. He was going in the 50s. So I think it was a huge surprise for a lot of people. There was some talk of whether or not he was going to like maybe, maybe get picked by Kansas City at the back end of the first round. Yeah. So he went, yeah. went at the 16 spot. A lot of people were pretty much shocked, but it's one of those classic situations where draft capital, capital means a lot basically in this situation. But um, the name I have written down is a guy that was drafted by Washington back in the day and Jamison Crowder um, height, weight, speed, very similar to Jamison Crowder, exact same type of game, all encompassing can get around. will absolutely destroy you. If you decide to try and play zone with him and his rookie seasons about what I anticipate a guy like Dotson coming based off of the target volume, he, Jamison Crowden's rookie season was 59 receptions for 604 yards and two touchdowns. I think the touchdowns may be a little bit higher for a guy like Dotson, but I think that's about probably production wise, what we're going to see from him with this offense, with the weapons that are around him and a healthy Logan Thomas coming back. So I think he's got a pretty good floor. And if he exceeds that, I'll be more in on him. Yeah. I think Jamison Crowder is not a bad shout. I think early on in the process when I was really, really studying uh, Dotson, of course I watched a lot of him, but mm-hmm. uh, just studying him after the fact and Somebody, I don't remember who it was. I wish I could remember, but somebody compared him to Tyler Lockett, and I thought that was spot on. Mm. I, I think they're very, very, very similar players, and I think you know his ceiling being a Tyler Lockett for me makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the the one thing I'll tell you with the Tyler Lockett thing is that the speed is not even remotely similar. So I don't know if you know this or not. I'm actually a K uh, State grad, so that's actually where I went to school. So I was there when Lockett was there, and he has a speed that Dotson I don't think has. And that was kind of proven on the 40. Now, yes, you could say there's probably a little bit more game speed to Dotson thing, but Dotson wasn't really torching anyone on really deep balls. Um, It was more of those wild acrobatic contested catches that he probably should have had to make on the sidelines that intrigues you when you're looking at a guy like Dotson. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really uh, more so talking about the change of pace and, and you know, short and intermediate route game. I think Tyler Mm -hmm. Lockett and him are very similar players, especially with just the smoothness of play there Mm -hmm. um, and just the deceptive control of their body when they're running routes. I, I think it's, it's freakishly similar. Yeah. I'm there with you. Um, another guy this is the last one of note really to talk about on the entire team. Uh, Cole Turner out of Nevada comes in as the tight end three, maybe four on the team. The only reason I'm bringing him up is that this is a position that is extremely fluid going forward. You have a guy like Logan Thomas coming off of a pretty serious injury near the midway slash tail end of the season last year. He dealt with a couple of nicks up. Um, if he's not on the field, which is not really going to be the case long-term considering how he's going to be 32 this year and 33 at the end of the season, um, the room has an opening. And so you're looking at guys like John Bates, who I'm actually pretty high on um, personally. I think that's the locked and loaded um, tight end two in this team currently, but you have Cole Turner who has a little bit more of a blocking background. I comp him to a guy like Nick Boyle out of Baltimore, um, but he has quite a bit more size than anyone else that's in the actual room outside of Logan Thomas. So it's just named kind of to keep your eye on. Um, I think he was a product of Nevada really having no other options other than throwing to Romeo dubs and himself. Um, but do you have anything to say about Turner? 
No, not really. I, yeah. I haven't really watched him much. Yeah, it's, it's not that exciting. You're not missing a lot. <laughs> um, it was a one-year production. But, yeah, that's basically it. But we are going to move on to your favorite team now. We're talking about the Giants. I'm sorry that I have to say this out live, but the record was 4-13 and last year. Yeah, yeah, I know. But there's a lot of positives. They basically just shipped everyone off. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, Gettleman is gone. But now we bring in Brian Dable as the head coach and, for all intents and purposes, the OC for the team. Dable's offense last year in Buffalo was ranked 11th in pass percentage, which kind of shocked me. I anticipated them being quite a bit higher than that, especially with how inefficient their run game was until the tail end of the season. But I guess I wasn't really taking into account that Josh Allen runs and scrambles into that. Um, but when you are looking at the team, they do not have Josh Allen at the quarterback position. They still have Daniel Jones. So we'll we'll start there before I even get into some wild numbers that they have vacated. Where are you at with your quarterback? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, a sigh, right? Like that's, yeah. that's every Giants fans reaction when you ask them about Daniel Jones. And it's not because the majority of us think he's a bad player because mm. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's, he's a frustrating case study because if you were to say, can we take a guy who has very high highs and very low lows and break him, uh, and do that over the course of three years, the Giants have done a really good job of that. <laughs> I mean, they are the, the gold standard right now because they've done everything wrong. When you have the owner of the team uh, in, in, in Mara coming out and saying that we've done everything to destroy Daniel Jones' career thus far, that's, that's saying something. That's the owner of a franchise saying that they've ruined this guy's career so far. Um, yeah, it's, 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 and he's right. He's right. It's, it's mind blowing. But what I do like about Daniel Jones is that we've seen him and people who are not giants fans don't see it because they don't watch the giants. And I don't blame you for not watching the giants, but there have been, uh, significant instances where Daniel Jones has carried the offense on his back down the field and scored touchdowns. Uh, and and he hasn't been, been able to do it very often in game after game. But that's because the offense is so bad everywhere. But he's been able to do it at times. And, I mean, that's that's more than you can ask of most players, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for, for Daniel Jones, it, it, it comes to his ability to maneuver the pocket, which is funny saying with a guy that's as mobile as him. Yes. Yeah. But his understanding of where he is in the pocket has to be the worst out of any quarterback that I've seen in a long time. And I think that's to a fault on him and to the offensive line, which anyone who knows anything about the giants can tell you has been the biggest sieve basically on the team for the last five to six years. Basically it was an issue with Eli Manning. It's still an issue. Um, the offensive line has to get shirt up. So he he's again, a guy um, I was talking to Aaron Freeman with uh, locked on Falcons when he was on for the NFC South podcast and the Falcons, the giants and the bears are basically foils of each other. They're very similar. They've had their front offices handle the situation pretty much the exact same way. They've ruined the quarterbacks that were there. Uh, Matt Ryan is not the same guy that he was. Mitchell Trubisky went down the exact same track record that Daniel Jones is going down right now. So fingers crossed that they're able to pull it in. I will tell you right now that your year one underneath your new head coach is going to be significantly better realistically than my first year underneath a new head coach. So it's something to be excited for. Um, 
I do like Daniel Jones. The fumbles are the one thing where after three years, you have to be able to lock that up and it still hasn't been locked up. Um, so that's, that's my biggest concern with Daniel Jones. It's just the turnover propensity. Um, it's, it's just got to get better, especially with the weapons that he has now. If there's a healthy rushing game and, uh, you know, just an average offensive line, if he puts up anywhere near the floor type level that he was playing the last couple of years, I think he's pretty much out of there next year and no one will really bat an eye, I feel like. Yeah. But that's yeah. just an outside opinion. Um, but looking at the team right now, like I said, there's a lot of changes coming and uh, it was really due to the fact of a lot of injuries to last year. Um, vacated targets, 226. Vacated carries, 187. Now those 187 carries are due to the fact that they had to do a basically clown car cycling of running backs in there who constantly got hurt after Saquon went down again. Um, but you're looking at them. They skill position losses. They had to let go Dante Pettis, who was a bust attempt at a wide receiver fill-in last year. Devontae Booker, who was actually decently productive when he got the work until he got injured. And then Evan Ingram, uh, the man of what could have been for you guys. Brian in Tyrod Taylor, Matt Breida, Ricky Seals-Jones, and Jordan Akins. The offseason, when it comes to a free agency standpoint, doesn't look very sexy for you guys. But... When it comes to the draft selection, you have two guys that I'm very, very, very intrigued to be paired up with the offensive weapons that you already have. You brought in Wandell Robinson out of Kentucky and Daniel Bellinger out of Arizona State. Sorry, I was blanking on that one. Um, two guys, extremely athletic profiles, extremely good last years in college, but question marks outside of that. Where are you at on Wandale, who is coming in with a lot of people saying, didn't you just kind of do this with Tony last year? Where are you at with Wandale? Yeah, so, and I always think that's an odd kind of statement for people to say because Kadarius Tony, if he's proved one thing last season when he was healthy, he proved that he is a real wide receiver. He can line up on the outside and get the job done and not just get it done, but get it done um, in, in, you know, significant fashion where people are watching the game and they're, you know, your eyes are fixated on him because he's just, you know, beating guys on post routes that he's not supposed to be beating like he's beating them. I mean, mm. they're spinning around and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, but yeah, just the progression that Kadarius Tony had from his first year in college to last season is absolutely incredible. Um, and I think they view him as a, as a, as a real outside wide receiver option. Um, so that's, that slot receiver uh, with, with Sterling Shepard, I think is another kind of, um, you know, iffy situation where you do want him lined up on the slot, but I think he can be an outside receiver as well. You bring in a guy who is also very dynamic. You have Dayball uh, coming in and bringing that dynamism from the Bills offense, and you have Kafka coming in from Kansas City and, and bringing, you know, uh, that mold from over there. And I think they're going to do a lot of creative things with the offense. I think there's room enough for both of them. I don't think that Wandell Robinson is going to be very, very, very productive out of the gate. But I think from, from where you can get him and what they think of the player, I think it makes sense to get some shares. Yeah. Yeah. And Wandell's one of those guys where I, I literally, I mean, it's, you call it easy, call it cheap. I have Rondell Moore written down to him and it's not because I think they're the same player because they're definitely not with how they win. The reason I have them next to each other is I see, exactly what Rondell Moore did last year for Wondell Robinson. And that's due to opportunity and trying to fit into a new offense because Tony, if he showed one thing is when he's on the field, he's a monster. Um, he did things 
like visually people that didn't watch the giants and probably are commenting on a guy like Kadarius Tony, having never seen him actually play a snap for the giants. They're just looking at stats and splits and all that jazz. He visually watching him last year. I was like, how did he just do that? How did yeah. he beat that guy? And it happened I, I, in the back I, of his head. It's, it's scary. The things he was doing on the field. Yeah. It's and it, it's wild. But if you do look at some of the numbers, um, I was actually just listening to a Matt Harmon podcast for reception perception. Uh, he was actually dead last in all wide receivers that were eligible last year based off of snap counts in beating man coverage. Um, so that is something that he does need to improve. Uh, but when you tear up, you know, zone coverage, like he does, does it really matter? I would argue not really. Um, I am concerned for when Sterling Shepard comes back, how this team is going to look. But I do think that if he is going to get an opportunity, it's going to be an opportunity early because people forget Sterling Shepard's coming off a torn Achilles decently late in last season. So this team is going to look very interesting. Uh, A lot of people are, you know, just pleading and begging based off of their uh, Kenny Galladay shares that he sees like, I don't know, 30% of the snaps this season instead of like 20. But the team has a lot of wide receiver options. It's just whether or not it comes back to kind of Daniel Jones. Can he facilitate to the weapons? Can he yeah, run this offense? It's it's a real chicken chicken or the egg argument, yeah. right? Because the receivers can't stay on the field. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if the quarterback, is he bad because the receivers and the running back can't stay on the field? Or is he bad because he's bad? We, we yeah. don't know yet. Uh, Kenny Galladay, I mean, three or four different injuries, I mean, to different parts of his body. Mm-hmm. I mean – fairly impressive what he was able to do with those injuries last year. Um, Getting injured as many times as he did. Sterling Shepard. I mean, whether it's a concussion, a torn Achilles, a tweaked hamstring every year, it's the same deal. Uh, Very, very, very talented player. I think more talented than people want to give him credit for, but he he just can't stay on the field. Kadarius Tony. That's the thing that scares me the most about him. He's an he's an injury case walking. So Wandell Robinson, I mean, he's gonna have a, a a place there, you know, if history is any indication. Uh, man, I just I just don't know how it's gonna shake out because thus far, none not one of them has been able to stay on the field. For yeah, it, that's the that's the thing where I start to question is like, all right, what's going on with this medical staff? Because this has been an issue for you guys for a long time. <laughs> it's either it's either the staff, it's either the medical staff or the scouting staff, yeah. right? Because I mean, you're either bringing in players who can't stay healthy or the players are getting to you and you're not able to keep them healthy. It's one of the two or maybe both. Yeah, so, it's yeah. a lot. I'm right there with you on Sterling Shepard. Coming out, I was like, God sent. He's going to be amazing. He's going to destroy the league. And when he's on the field in like a per snap basis across his career, he's like one of the most prolific wide receivers yeah, <laughs> that we've yeah. seen of the last two decades. But guess what? He's not on the field very often, which is like the unfortunate thing. So that's the thing is like the running joke, I guess, in our community is like, if Sterling Shepard is active, you play him, but don't expect to play him two weeks in a row, basically. So it's just wild. But another guy that I'm optimistic specifically due to the absolute dearth of options after Evan Ingram got shipped out is Daniel Bellinger. There are just a bunch of Jags on this team that have never amounted to pretty much anything at the NFL level. You have a 32 year old Jordan Akins and a Ricky Seals Jones, yeah. 28 or 29 coming in where neither one of them have ever seen over 30 receptions in their career during a season. And so I'm just looking at Daniel Bellinger, athletic freak. He had the second best athletic profile out of any of the tight ends in this class, only behind a Quanquo out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so 
I'm looking at Bellinger and I don't see why he can't have a rookie season pretty much identical to what we had with OJ Howard his first year in Tampa Bay. And that is a guy who he's not going to be peppered with targets just due to all the other weapons that are around him and them trying to kind of feel it out because Dable up until this last year really wasn't even targeting Dawson Knox that much in Buffalo. But with Daniel Bellinger coming in, athletic freak, all it takes is three, four, five broken plays during the season for him to take it all the way to the house. And all the reports are since day one, he's been running with the ones as the starting tight end. He's the true move tight end in this offense. And when you're comparing the systems of Buffalo with Dable and Kafka and KC, I want a tight end in that system. And once again, a guy that's going basically free or at the very tail end of your fourth round in rookie drafts, Daniel Bellinger, where are you at with him? Have you heard anything that I haven't heard? Did you like him coming out? Yeah, no, I loved Bellinger coming out, and I like him even more now. Yeah. I mean, every beat reporter, everybody that's close to the team have, have been raving about him since day one. The coaching staff raving about him. And I, I think, yes, like Dable's going to have a lot of input in this offense. I think it's going to be largely his offense. But I think it's going to be a, a fairly uh, – maybe not even, but, you know, they're going to share a little bit with Kafka there. And, and I mean, it's going to be very, very, very chief-influenced as well. Um, that's been kind of the going theme since day one is that they really want to merge these two playbooks, uh, let Daniel Jones pick out what he wants from both of those playbooks and make it happen. And if we know anything about that Chiefs offense is they rely very, very heavily on tight ends. Um, and that's promising, I think, with Kelsey's athletic profile, with Bellinger. And I'm not saying Bellinger is, is Kelsey, right? Obviously not saying that. Yeah. But their athletic profiles are not too, too far apart. Um, and, and I mean, Bellinger is, is – absolute freak i mean he can he can block he can he can route run he can do i mean anything you want him to do i think he's gonna once he gets on the field and gets his 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 feet set he's gonna stay there he's gonna stay there they have nobody else of substance on that roster at tight end so yeah. he is my favorite waiver wire pickup uh i don't have many giant players on my teams um but he's he's a guy i have almost everywhere yeah, and uh, for anyone, once again, following along, he um, the first podcast I did following the NFL draft, he was my highest riser out of any position in my positional ranking post-draft. It was due to opportunity. They didn't bring anyone in free agency. They didn't do anything. They targeted him specifically in the middle rounds, in the middle of that big, beefy tight end pool that kept going, and he was the guy that they want. They took him over quite a few other guys that I thought were better based off of my pre-draft profile outside of just athletic matrix. Um, but yeah, like I said, OJ Howard, rookie season, 34 receptions, 565 yards, five touchdowns, average 16 and a half per reception. That puts him as a borderline top 12 tight end as a free asset. That's what I anticipate realistically happening. Um, I, I think it's going to be fun and it's going to surprise a lot of the casual fans on the, you know, dynasty side. But the yeah, position, I mean, go ahead. As I mean, as we were saying earlier, with the wide receivers unable to stay on the field, he mm-hmm. may be the one fixture in that offense that just sticks around. And if that is the case, I mean, he's going to see the targets. He's going to see the targets. It'd be great if he can, but we saw what uh, what happened with your last tight end, and that was his biggest issue as well. So, you yeah. know, fingers, fingers crossed, knock on some wood, that <laughs> it begins to change. But there is another position that you have a lot of injured players at typically, and it's the running back position. And that's where we get to my UDFA of note. Um, They brought in Matt Breida as the true quote-unquote backup to Saquon Barkley, but 
Brita hasn't proven that he's been able to stay healthy in his career. Saquon hasn't either. Um, enter in a guy like Josh Corbin, who didn't have a massive production profile when it was at FSU, but he's got everything you could possibly want from a size speed metrics guy and from his actual visuals on tape. Um, he was basically what Damian Pierce was able to do. He was able to do a very similar capacity. He's just not quite as a violent of a runner as a Damian Pierce, but he has a lot of traits and with a lot of constant injuries at the position and no true backup, he's a guy I'm keeping my eye on. Again, um, they don't really have anyone that I really recognize after Matt Breida on the roster that I'm, you know, well-versed in their uh, NFL careers, at least. So he's a guy that if he makes the roster, I think he could end up getting some snaps this season unless Saquon stays healthy all season, which again, I have enough Saquon shares where I want that to happen. Um, but he's a guy that is a very free dart throw that I think I would be paying attention to. Do you know anything about Corbin? Anything you want to say about him? Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, most of my family are actually Florida state fans. So okay. yeah. Um, yeah, no, quite a bit about him. I, I really like him. I think he's a capable player who looks like a three down back. I mean, he looks like a guy that can do it. So yeah, with the amount of injuries there, it's all about opportunity, right, at the end of the mm -hmm. day, for the, especially for these undrafted free agent guys. It's about being able to find yourself in a position where you can realistically see a shot to see the field. And I think he's in that position. I don't think Matt Breida is a guy, you know. <laughs> if Saquon goes down, right, it's game over. They're just going to start throwing players at the board and see who sticks there at that running back. <laughs> I don't see why, you know, if, if he makes it through camp and, and everything looks good that, you know, he wouldn't get a shot. Yeah. And it saves him some cash as opposed to bringing in like a, you know, a Tay train Latavius Murray or something like that in free agency to try and fill the void. Unless for some reason you guys are like five and zero when Saquon goes down and then yeah, right. and bring in someone good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not that blessed, but um, <laughs> <laughs> with, with Corbin. Yeah. I think Joe Shane, I mean, he's pretty much said the name of the game is, is save money. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're saving every dollar they can, they can save right now, pinching every penny. They're not, if Saquon goes down, they're not bringing a guy in at all. Mm -hmm. They're just running with what they got. Even if they suck, they're just running with what they got. I mean, I believe it. They're, they're not playing for wins. They're not, I mean, granted, if they come out of the gate with their, with, with the guys that they have healthy and they start winning games, maybe a different story. But, you know, if we see what we've traditionally seen the last three or four years and the giants come out and, you know, they're one in three, one in four and Saquon goes down um, you know, Josh Corbin is, is probably going to get a shot there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, one final question kind of wrap up and then you can feel free to ask me anything you want, or if you want to chat about anything specifically with the giants. So Dable's offense last year, obviously with Josh Allen is a little bit different at the helm of what you can do with the pass game, but are you wanting them to lean on the pass game so that you can see more from a Daniel Jones this season? Or are you wanting to try and see a cohesive offense where you try and lean into the run game and then just let Daniel Jones kind of do that play action jazz that, we're kind of expecting him to be able to do based off of his collegiate profile. Yeah. So I think the way they're approaching it this year by all, uh, by all indication is that they're freeing Daniel Jones. Mm -hmm. They're saying, okay, what, what happened was Daniel Jones came out his rookie season and people forget he was really good his rookie year. Very, very good. He looked very promising. Um, I mean, you compare him to guys like, uh, um, I mean, pretty much anybody that came out of the rookie class last year and mm -hmm. he was better than all of them, right. His rookie year. Um, and yeah, I mean, what he throw, like, gosh, I, I forget. I mean, it was a, a significant number of touchdowns had a significant number of, of 300 plus yard games. I mean, he, he looked really good. Did some special things with his legs. Yeah. He put up, uh, basically 3,030 yards with a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. 
threw for 24 and uh, 24 touchdowns. The main issue is that he hasn't even gotten to 24 combined touchdowns since that year, I think is what yeah. everyone has. Yeah. But, but again, that's the revolving door yeah. of every single wide receiver he has not being able to stay on the field, the running back not being able to stay on the field, the offense. And I'm not going to say arguably, the offensive line is the worst offensive line in all of football last year. It was absolutely horrendous. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's just a spell for disaster. They did nothing to help him out. And I think with what they did with the offensive line this year, uh, I mean, just to tell you how bad that offensive line is, they have one guy retained from last year on that starting offensive line. And that's the left tackle, Andrew Thomas, who played really well. He was the only guy on, on the, uh, um, on the offensive line that played even close to starting caliber football. I mean, I think their guards were, uh, I think both of the guards were, uh, according to PFF, like close to last in the NFL. Bro, like, remind me, did you, did you have Norwell on your team last year? Did he go? No, 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 no. Norwell left, I think three years ago. Okay. I, I always get that mixed up if he left the Giants or if he went to the Giants. No, it was like three years ago. He left. I think he went to, uh, I think it was Jacksonville. Yeah. No, we never gotten, did we get Norwell? No, we got Zeitler. That's right. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what we I was were linked to Norwell. Yep. We were supposed to get him and he didn't show up. I was thinking Zeitler. Yeah, okay. we got Zeitler, and then, of course, they, they released him because they wanted to save some money because yeah. uh, the cap was so, you know, effed up. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyways, so offensive line, terrible. They've they've fixed that in large part this year. We'll see. I mean, we, we I'd like to say they fixed it, but we'll see. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I would like to I, I would like for them to just free him. And, and that, by all indications, that's what they've been saying they're going to do is just say, you know what, we're not worried about you making mistakes. Go out there and play football. Go out there and have fun. Go out there and do what you've been doing your entire life. You know, we're not going to tie you to Jason Garrett and, you know, turn you into a machine in the pocket and all this kind of stuff like they were trying to do last season. They, they, you ever, you ever heard the term overcorrection? Yeah. That's what they did with Daniel Jones. They said, okay, the fumbles are an issue. The interceptions are an issue overcorrect you were not allowed to fumble you were not allowed to throw an interception mm. play offense you know and and no no quarterback can do that you have to make mistakes you have to take some risks on the field and they were not letting him do that so um yeah i'm, I'm really optimistic about what they're what they're gonna let him do this offseason yeah yeah power to you man well is there anything else you wanted to chat about the giants anyone else in the division you want to chat about any broad topics um i did want to talk about one guy and yeah. I think I talked about him a little bit uh, more than you would probably have liked because I know you're not the biggest fan of him. But uh, Kadarius Tony, yeah. I think I think that he is absolutely lightning. And some of the stats that I were, you know, I'm I'm in a lot of Giants uh, group text with you know people back home and you know other guys that I know from fantasy that are that are Giants fans and everything. And everybody's always sending me stats on players and, and everything like that. And some of the stuff that I that I've seen on Kadarius Tony has been pretty incredible. Yeah, his 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 stats versus man coverage are a little questionable. But if you look at you know him finishing eleventh in the league in yards per route run at two point fourteen uh last season, which mm-hmm. you know better than Tyreek Hill, right? He forced uh 12 missed tackles after the reception, which tied for 13th in the league. Right. But he finished 112th in passing snaps. Yeah. You know, that's, that's incredible. Incredible. Um, and then finishing 10th in, in yak per reception with six yards after the catch. 
So, I, I mean, some of the stuff he's able to do with the ball in his hands, if he can stay on the field, I think that people really need to consider him. If you're able to get him for uh, – I mean, if you haven't done your, your rookie drafts yet, you know, for those – crazy people out there whom, whom I, I say those crazy people maybe the saner people out there who aren't as crazy about dynasty as i am because i've done all my rookie drafts <laughs> but um you know if you can give up a late second and get Kadarius tony I, i'm doing that all day and I, I think a lot of people are giving up on him because you know they haven't really watched him because again they haven't watched the giants don't blame you but what he was able to do on the field absolutely incredible it's all about him being able to stay on the field and if he if he's able to stay on the field he's a special 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 football football player i would i would even go to say that he is as special as saquon barkley when he has the ball in his hands that's spicy (laughs) um he he definitely showed flashes um i don't think that that price is like even remotely egregious really to get him for i would definitely do that move if i was attempting to acquire him i have him in two shares which 25 percent ownership on him is about probably my cap that's probably yeah, that's, that's about right that's about right um, so for me when i'm looking at him uh i think it's wild the fluctuation we've seen specifically with his price over the last calendar year um if you remember I, he was going for like a mid first after that 189 yeah yard game two touchdown or whatever game that he had when he just astronomically blew up and then the injury started to set in and then he didn't look as good when he was trying to rush back from the injuries and then they finally shut him down towards the end of the year and so you look at it and now you're looking at a back end second realistically especially after the fact that they added a guy like wandell robinson where the average fan again just sees them as the same player a move speedy guy who can get open and do a lot of gadgety things so I think it's a smart move. Um, I think you can realistically get both of them for about the same cost. Um, I wasn't super high on Tony last year, but I would personally rather have Tony than a Wandell Robinson, even though for the life life of me, I couldn't tell you why I have four shares of Wandell Robinson. <laughs> and it's just due to the value that I had. It's, it's smart. It's smart. Like I did the same thing with Kadarius Tony last year, right? Yeah. Where I went and I had a, and I'm, I'm Again, I'll say I almost never have passed a 30% uh, mm-hmm. share of any player unless they're a waiver wire ad, right? Then yeah. I might have like 60, 70% or something. But Tony was a guy I had almost everywhere. And as soon as he had that game and his value jumped like that, I sold off almost every single share except for mm-hmm. like maybe two across my leagues. Um, and I'm in like 16 or 17 leagues, uh, right? Yeah. And so sold all those shares and now I'm buying them all back because, mm-hmm. you know, I can, right? And Wondell Robinson, I can see the same kind of deal. If you have that, if he falls, you know, close to the third round, that, you know, 211, 212, pick up Wondell Robinson, you know, with these, mm-hmm. with the injury history of these players, he's likely to see the field. If he shows any, any, any sign of talent, right, as a football player, he's going to gain some value. And worst case scenario, you get a little bit, a little bit more than what you paid to get him. Yeah, and he, he's a guy that, like I said, I would be attempting to acquire, to be honest with you. Um, but then when you go back to the, like, the stats that you were referring to for Tony, he is a guy that I am intrigued by just due to the fact um, it was Nick Ercolano from BDGE actually did a special specifically on Tony this offseason. Um, I was trying to find the stats earlier when you were chatting, and I couldn't find specifically um, what he was saying. But basically, based off of his yards per route run um, with his cap floor, if you compare it, 
to basically everyone since they started the reception perception stats in 2014 with Matt Harmon. Um, he is in the company basically of OBJ, AJ Brown, Jamar Chase, um, Calvin Ridley, Chase Claypool, and I think one other person basically that have hit this yeah. threshold of yards per route run in their rookie season. And you can argue that every single person on the list has been a gangbuster and has been a wide receiver one basically outside of maybe Claypool, I think was the only one, but even then he put that 10 receiving touchdowns his first year in the league, which is still wild to me. And the fact that there's a despair, I still will die on the hill that the fact that there's a disparity between Chase Claypool and Michael Pittman is infuriating <laughs> to me, but I won't get into a divulge of a different division right now. But um, yeah, Tony's a guy I'm very intrigued on. Acquisition cost, like you said, is not high at all. And I do enjoy his role in the team based off of how staunchly they defended him immediately when this regime came on and said, there's no way in hell we're trading him. Basically Um, they firmly are standing pat and I would probably rather have Tony and Robinson rather than Galladay right now, which I know isn't saying a ton right now, but if you had told me that a year ago, I probably would have said you were crazy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And, and some of you may be scoffing, you know, some listeners may be scoffing at the, you know, get them for a late second, but it can be done. I've done it in, yeah. in four different leagues. Like I said, I'm in 17 leagues. I've tried it everywhere. Got it in four that, I mean, that's a good ratio for me. You know, you're not going to get them everywhere, but you know, just test the waters, try to get them where you can get them. If you can get them for cheap and you know, go with it from there, you're, you're probably going to get some value back. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, even with a, a I know this isn't what a lot of people are going to agree with, but even like a 23 second for me, like, we've seen Tony do it on an NFL field. We yeah. haven't seen any of the back and wide receivers that are going to be there. And granted, they're probably looking a little bit better than they were this year at the end of the second round. Um, do it in the NFL. And that's always my mantra. As soon as I see it in the NFL, I'm more inclined to spend the pick that I use to take them basically with in the future, as opposed yeah. to waiting on a potential upside just because I like the prospect more. So hundred percent with you on that one. I think it's a smart move in general to try and go and get Tony. Money in your pocket is worth more than future money. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Matters in dynasty. Worst case scenario, you ship them off for a second next year. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, this has been fun, man. It was a good little chat. Um, a nice little hour podcast for our followers. So you want to go ahead and plug everything that you got going on right now to the people where you can find them. I know you're busy with work, so you're probably just rolling with the podcast, but uh, let them know if they don't already know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm running around like crazy. I'm so glad I've been able to come on here and, and, and chat with you because yeah, work's been incredibly, incredibly busy. I barely had enough time to do uh, the podcast where I'm a mainstay, and, and that is Dynasty War Games. It, it is a fun, fun podcast that I do uh, with my buddy Jesse and my buddy Mike, um, who I actually met through uh, the Dynasty Warzone Patreon. If you're not there, get there because it's fantastic. The chat is amazing. We do some Patreon leagues. They suckered me into a Patreon league right now that I'm drafting in. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. You get to talk with Memphis, Jerry, Dallas, uh, both Kyles, everybody at the Dynasty War Games. Just, yeah, we all have a good time. So, uh, yeah, uh, Twitter. I'm not very good at Twitter, but uh, I will give it to you anyways. If you want to follow me and see a lot of nothing, um, <laughs> you know, uh, guilt me into making some some posts or something sometime. I don't know. It's uh, at DWZ underscore Chad. That's where you find me. So thanks for having me on, Dallas. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. And for all of you listening, this has been episode seven out of the eight of the first year forecasting. As I said, next week will be the AFC West edition and closing out. And then we're going to be jumping into everyone's favorite summertime edition of the Oklahoma drill. It's my personal favorite thing to talk about. Super fun little series that I do. And then it's basically preseason. And I'm just going to be talking about nothing but rookies until I hop into a uh, 
fun new little uh, realm for you all that I have not announced yet for the regular season. So it's been a great time. I appreciate your time, Chad. And until next week, have a great week, people. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. a game yesterday and if we win one today that's two in a row we win one tomorrow that's called a winning streak